You're listening to the Manaverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 82. So before we jump into this episode of the Manaverse Podcast, I want to give you guys an update as to what's been going on in my life. Don't worry, we'll get into the interview with Pete Hoffling really soon. I know you're as excited to hear from one of the most successful game storeners in the world as I was to get him on the show. At the beginning of the year, like most people do, I made some resolutions on the blog to create more content and publish more podcasts. Well, I haven't been keeping up with that promise very well. Typical New Year's resolution fail, right? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I've got some pretty good reasons, I think. Uh, the first two have taken a pretty heavy toll on me. In early January, I learned that a friend of mine had suddenly passed away. He was only 29 years old. At first, I thought it was a social media joke, because you know, that's how I found out about it. Uh, it seemed so at a left field, but it, it wasn't. Travis Heron was one of my magic friends that I'd known for several years. And if you play magic, you know what I mean by magic friend. That's one of the best things about this game. It brings people together in a way that would be otherwise impossible. Uh, I hadn't heard from Travis in uh, a few years since he'd moved away to New Brunswick, uh, quite a distance from where I'm at. We hadn't really spoken a whole lot, but he'd planned on coming back and to just find out one day that that was not going to be the case was very jarring and just a, a tragedy all around. And we still don't really know what happened and that's one of the most difficult aspects of the whole thing. You know, I don't know why Travis died, and that still messes me up at this point, several weeks later. Uh, then two weeks ago, my grandfather passed away. You know, I've lived with my grandparents for, uh, I lived with them for uh, 10 years early on in my childhood. And in a lot of ways, they helped raise me into the man that I am today. Uh, he was a gentleman, a warrior, a hero. A man of honor, and he did not judge other people. You know, he was a great man, and I'm glad that he lived a long life of 95 years. But I'm still sad that he's gone. You know, it's quite the one-two punch for the beginning of 2019. Uh, so keep that in mind. The biggest change has been something really good. Uh, the birth of my second son. February 10th at 4.27pm, Chase Magnus Traplin was born at a healthy weight of 7 pounds and 8 ounces. Yeah, so this last week has been about getting settled into a new routine and you know figuring how to get some work done while changing diapers and uh, helping my wife get some sleep. Yeah, that's the beginning of 2019 for me. I don't know what it's been like for you, but that's my uh, first couple of months of this year. A real mixed bag, real roller coaster. And I'll let you decide if those are some good enough reasons to have not kept my resolution. But that's the update. You know, we're figuring things out, so we should be back on schedule from here on out. Fingers crossed. Uh, so now let's talk about the show. Pete Hoffling is the president and founder of Star City Games, one of the most well-known and successful game store owners on the planet. You know, I've been trying to get this guy on the show for a long time. I've been hoping to get this guy on the show for a long time. We dive deep into how Pete built SEG and what makes his business tick. We talk about the rationale behind the Star City Games tour, as well as why Pete decided to go all in on Magic and how that impacted his business. I was very happy when Pete finally agreed to come on the podcast. You know, I've been trying to get him on since last summer, but as you can imagine, Pete's a pretty busy guy. So with all that out of the way, 
let's jump into the interview with Pete Hoffling. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we talk about building profitable and successful game businesses. And I have a very special guest on with me today. I have with me the founder and president of a, uh, a game store, a game company that you've probably heard of already, even if you've maybe not heard of him necessarily. But uh, I have with me Pete Hoffling, the founder and president of Star City Games. How are you doing, Pete? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. It took a little while for us to finally connect and, and get this going, but uh, I'm glad we could finally ha- make it happen. Yeah, I almost actually ended up canceling on you today, or not canceling, but having to reschedule on you today too. But like after doing that once already, I couldn't bring myself to do it again. So, Well, I'm glad. I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> I know you're not feeling super great, but I still, uh, still really appreciate you taking the time to have a discussion with me. Absolutely. All right. So let's just get started. We'll open it up with the, uh, the question that I usually ask store owners when I have them on the show for the first time. It's, uh, let's talk about the origin of Star City Games. It's been around for quite a while. So uh, let's tell the story of how and why you got into the business. Well, so it's funny because uh, b- before we started here, you said that you, you thought that this would probably take about 45 minutes and, and I could actually, like if I tell this story from start to finish, the full version of the story, it may actually take that entire time. So I'll kind of give you the TLDR version, uh, which is uh, basically at some point I, I opened a comic book store. I was operating that. It was 800 square foot store and that was just myself and my parents. Um, that event, like over time that evolved and became a comic book and a game store. And then my personal passion shifted at some point from comic books to magic. I still love comic books, but I mean, as far as like where my, my real personal passion is, like what, I, what really kind of uh, fires me up, and that, that passion shifted from comic books uh, over to magic. And when that happened, uh, the store transitioned, I transitioned the business from a comic book and game store to basically just a game store. And then as, uh, as I got more and more into magic at some like over time that the game store the model just transitioned from a a, a um like a more your more typical type of game store into uh what at the time was actually a very unique model which was a store that just focused 100 percent or, or probably 99 percent uh just on that one game magic and then yeah. uh, also somewhere somewhere between those last two steps somewhere between um uh, us being a comic and game store and I'm sorry, us being a, um, like a, your more typical type of game store and us just deciding to focus solely on magic, the, this, uh, this little thing called the internet came along and kind of blew up. And that, that was a game changer, obviously. For sure. So that's something that's pretty unusual in this industry. A lot of game store owners say that, uh, going into business and focusing on a single product line is usually a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways. Yep. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> and, and I remember, um, I think, I think it was actually probably one of the most pivotal moments in, um, in, in all the years that we've actually been in business because the talk throughout the entire industry at the time was diversify, 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 and and at the time I remember a lot of our a, a, a lot of our larger competitors um, 
deciding to kind of buy into that. And, and I'm not saying that it was actually a, a, a wrong decision. Like in hindsight, I, I certainly think I made the right decision. Um, but at the time, who knows? Like it, it, anything could have happened. I could have, I could have been making a, a decision that would have that would have doomed my business to fail. It just ended up not working out that way. But I remember at the time, a lot of um, like that was kind of the, the, um, the, the buzz within the industry was you need to diversify, you need to diversify, you need to diversify. And, uh, and a lot of our larger competitors at the time started doing that. Uh, and as they, as, they, as they focused a lot of their efforts and their resources on the diversification, uh, that was when we kind of just doubled down and just went all in on magic. And I really think that that was the, the, the pivotal moment that kind of enabled us to, to break away from the pack, which at the time was like just maybe four or five retailers who on any given day, you know, who was number one, who was number two, three, four, five, like those, you know, those positions kind of could fluctuate from day to day. But I think it was right around that time uh, when we were able to kind of really pull ahead and kind of break out from that pack. Interesting. So you feel like your move towards uh, uh, hyper-focus on a single line, maybe that was, or maybe it was the major differentiator. You were going against the stream at the time, the, the conventional wisdom. And maybe that's yeah, what I mean, was, you stand out the most. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was a huge risk, um, you know, in, in many ways, like some of the ways that we've discussed, like it was definitely not uh, – a, a, a wise decision in terms of, of conventional wisdom, but I, I, I believed it was actually the, the, the right thing to do. And if I'm going to do something and, um, and you'll probably kind of hear me come back to this several times over the course of this interview, but like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, or I'm just not going to do it at all. And I couldn't, I couldn't diversify my business in the way that, that other retailers were diversifying their businesses and do all of those different things well because i mean for multiple reasons like one i just didn't have a passion for a lot of those other games and two i just didn't have the knowledge of those games to to actually um to 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 do those those things well so i opted to just double down and just go all in on the thing that i thought that i could actually do really really well and um you know to kind of just pursue my passion and that's what i did and then it, fortunately, it ended up working out very well. Yeah, we can definitely tell that it worked out very well in your favor. So when the internet kind of came around, you saw it as an opportunity to maybe uh, reach a wider audience. And so what was that uh, experience like when, when you made that transition into I'm going to be a magic only uh, game business? That's the bread and butter of this, uh, this shop. What was it like taking it online? Uh, it was uh, challenging, I I would say. Um, I, so many things happen so fast. A lot of it's just kind of all a blur uh, at this point. But I mean, just the way that the internet and technology has evolved over the last fifteen years or so, it's just it's it's uh, you it's it's completely different, obviously, than it was back then. And when I think back. Um, to some of the, the challenges and the, the growing pains that we were dealing with at the time compared to the challenges and the, the, the issues that we deal with today. It's like, you know, it's not like it was 15 years ago. It feels like it might as well have been 50 years ago. Okay. What kind of challenges are you talking about? Like how hard was it uh, breaking into the e-commerce game back in the, the 
pre-Amazon days, I guess. Uh, it, it, it wasn't hard, but it was just, it was just, a, it was a different time there. You know, we were, I mean, the internet had kind of been around for a while, but it was just kind of blowing up. Like people didn't have, um, like everybody didn't, didn't carry a personal computer around with them in their pocket like they do now. Uh, it, so it, it was, it was just a different time. And we were just trying to figure a lot of things out. And, you know, there were other, there were other, uh, uh, entities and, you know, like the magic dojo, uh, was, was in that space as a, uh, as a content website. And there were other, there were other retailers that were in the space at the time. And it was just, um, there was definitely a learning curve. Like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get too specific because like I said, so much of it is kind of just a blur. Uh, we made a, we made a ton of mistakes back then. But we, I think we just didn't know, but we learned from them. We figured things out. We just kind of kept moving forward. When you initially went online, when you initially focused on, uh, on magic uh, as a sole mode of business, that's what your, your main product line was going to be. Uh, what was the, the, the retail side like? So <laughs> I think when most people think of Star City, they think of the website, they think of uh, you know, the, the tour, they think of buying cards online. They don't necessarily think of a physical space. Oh, so, so since start, uh, I mentioned earlier that's, that we, we originally opened as an 800-square-foot comic and game store. Uh, it was just myself and my parents. There were no employees at the time. Uh, that was in an 800-square-foot building. We eventually outgrew that, moved into a larger space. Uh, then we expanded that facility and kind of incorporated a, 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 like a game center into it, which was basically just a, a lower level that we uh, remodeled to include and set up with a bunch of tables and chairs and started running tournaments. And, and then we eventually outgrew that space and moved into the space that we're in now, which is about 25, 26,000 square feet. And we've, we've long outgrown that space. We just haven't been able to find the, the, the right type of larger space to move into, but we're actively looking. 26,000 square feet, that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not small and we, uh, we try to use the space very efficiently, but we're looking for something much larger. <laughs> Maybe you'll take the, uh, the crown away from Sentry Box for the world's largest game store. Um, no, no, no. Um, the, so the, the, the physical game center, the physical game store itself of our current building is only about 5,000 square feet. The rest of the building is the, the warehouse and the shipping and the, the, the other operations related to all the different things that we do. Uh, I don't really envision our, our brick and mortar game store ever becoming something along the lines of, of a century box or even that size. We just, we need more, we need more space for the operation as a whole. And the game, the game center is just one part of that. So the, the vast majority of it is like shipping and receiving. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's a, it's a, we have an in-house uh, production studio for the video programs that we make. We have a marketing department, uh, all uh, multiple other departments related to the SCG tour and events, uh, vendor operations department, which is, handles all of our purchasing and our on-site sales booths. We have our organized play department, of course, which is the team that actually runs those events. Uh, then we have a uh, processing area. We have... Um, shipping and receiving, warehouse, HR, admin, accounting, IT, all of that stuff, program technology. Quite the organization. Quite the yeah, organization. And, all the, and all those all those departments need a lot more space probably. So 
so this that's a great segue into the the next main question and that uh, you know star city games it's more than just retail and online you're also like a media company and a lot mm-hmm. of them a lot of production value going into the videos and the content that you produce on the site. So uh, what led you down that path? And then, you know, how did it impact your business? How has it changed the way you do things? Well, I, like it's not, the question that you're asking is not really just one question. Cause like over mm-hmm. the years we've gone down different paths for different reasons. Um, okay. So for, for example, uh, like at one point years ago, we introduced a, a premium membership service. Uh, which at the time was something that was very much, uh, it, was, it was very unique. It was, it was, it was, de- it was definitely not the, the, the norm as far as con- uh, content within the Magic community being provided. It wasn't the way that that really kind of worked at the time. But, uh, you know, again, like I'll go back to it again, like I was saying before, if I'm going to do something, like I'm, I, I want to do it to the best of my ability, and what we wanted to do, like the volume of content that we wanted to offer and the quality of content that we wanted to offer, it just, it wasn't feasible with that type of model. So we, we, had, to, we had to do something different. We had to go down a different path and, and do something, uh, think outside the box, do something different in order, in order to, to make that feasible. So we came up with the idea of, do, of doing our, our premium membership service. And, and fortunately, that worked out and enabled us to uh, not just offer a, a lot of of a large volume of quality content uh, for to premium members, but it also allowed us to offer more content for free. That makes sense. So and the content so, pays for the free content in a way. Yeah, absolutely, um, and and other things as well. But and the, but then you know we're talking about going down. I'm talking about going down different paths. And there's things like the uh, the SCG tour, which back when I started that was was called the open series. The main reason why we actually started that was because uh, we needed to buy so many cards in order to, like we, we had, like obviously we have a very high volume online store and we needed to buy so many cards in order to supply that store. And we needed a lot of large events in order to do that. And at, like at the time I was actually one of the PTOs that was running some of Wizards, uh, like larger events such as the, uh, the larger uh, regional pre-releases, and the larger, the, the PTQs, which were much larger back then. Um, but, but even then, even with us actually running those events for Wizards and those events being as great as they were, I realized that our, our entire business model was completely reliant on us actually being able to run events that could at any point be given to another organizer. They could be discontinued uh, or they could be affected by any number of other, of other changes that were just completely outside of our control. And so I realized that that was just way too much of a risk uh, for like when our, the, 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 um, uh, like our entire company was reliant on that, on those events continuing to exist in exactly the same form that they currently were. And that was just way too risky. So I realized that uh, we just, we had to come up with something different and that was like out of that the, is what is where the open series came from. And then over time just evolved into the SCG tour. And then of course, like once I, again, I'll say it again, like once I start doing something, like I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to, going to half-ass anything. If I'm, if I do something, I'm doing it to the best of my ability or I'm just not going to do it. And so we've just continually reinvested uh, over the years, just more and more and more into every aspect of the SCG tour, because I just want, uh, I want every aspect of, the SCG tour to be as good as it can possibly be. And, and I mean, 
people seem to, to really enjoy a lot of the things that we're doing, but I, there's still so much more that I actually want to do. There's always more to, more to work on, right? There's always more that you can accomplish, things you can improve on. Especially yeah, and that's, one, that's one of my problems is that I accomplish one of those things and then I add two more things to my list, so it never actually gets mm-hmm. shorter. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you are a, a busy man and hard to get a hold of, so I can imagine. Oh, they're actually very easy to get a hold of. <laughs> uh, it, it, like, if you have a question for me, it's super easy to get a hold of me. You can just email me at president at starcitygames.com. You can hit me up on Facebook. Uh, there's any number of other ways that you can get in touch with me. But as far as uh, my being able to set, a t- set aside time for something like this, that definitely has been, uh, been harder than it probably should be. Yeah. Uh, well, I understand. So that's, that's actually really interesting, too, that uh, well, I remember when the tour came about for the first time. and it was, it was very interesting and exciting to watch from north of the border, which is a little bit different for me being Canadian, right? It's a major challenge for us to really organize anything in that kind of uh, a scale mainly because like population is so spread out. uh, Yeah. When the tour first came out, I thought that was, this is a great idea. A store is actually opening up something that's kind of concurrent to what wizards was offering. Right. It was an alternative solution to the the tournament question, but it's a, it's really interesting to hear that it was actually created out of a need to just continue the the buying process that, that that's what the, uh, the original impetus for the, the tournament series was and not necessarily as a kind of like an event marketing play. Well, I mean, every, like everything that we do from the, the, the content to the events, to the store, like it's all, it's all very much integrated together. But Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, if, if we don't have the store, then none of that other stuff exists. Yeah. So I have a a theory that I wanted to to ask you post pause it to you and see what you think. And this has to do with the, the, the content creation and things like that. And along those lines, I wanted to just scoop it in here. And it was basically that uh, I found that the success of uh, Channel Fireball and Star City Games and like, you know, you're the, the two major uh, uh, players in the magic market, especially online. And I, I always thought that compared to other online retailers, the, the, the reason that they've done so well is because of the, uh, the stories that they told and the content that they produced. So basically... My theory is that the content, the, the fact that you started creating, uh, you created a content ecosystem. You, you brought in professional players and well-known, I guess, magic personalities and people like that from the community. They substituted for the personal interaction that you'd normally get in a face-to-face kind of, uh, you know, like you go into the game store, you, you talk to the retailer, you buy some cards. Okay. So the theory is basically that, like, I feel that Star City, and the reason that you are, the, the business is what it is now, is because of the, the, the face that the content puts on the e-commerce uh, interaction. Because there's a lot of, there are a lot of stores. There are a lot of stores that sell cards online. Mm-hmm. But Star City is clearly the dominant player in the market. I think part of that is because of the content uh, that you produced originally, or that you, you started producing as a business. Uh- I can't say to which degree, like, and, and not because I don't want to, but because I just genuinely don't know, like, to what degree that is or isn't true, but it's certainly true to some degree for sure. Uh, sure, that's fair. I, I just felt like that's, like, the whole uh, personal interaction thing is is one of the reasons why uh, I think game stores are what they are, right? Like, it's the reason why we attract customers is because of this personal interaction, the face-to-face uh, 
experience, right? Uh -huh. But that's the difficult part for uh, e-commerce retailers to, to compete with. And the reason that I think it's kind of uh, an interesting thought is because usually you think e-commerce, uh, people think Amazon, right? That you're competing with Amazon or that's kind of the mindset. And usually that means you're competing on price, which is not really the case in a lot of Well, I mean, it is and it isn't. Like for some amount of people, that's exactly what you're competing on because that's like literally the only thing that will matter to them. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But, but to, for, for, a lot of, for a lot of other people, um, there, there's a lot of other things that, uh, there's a lot of other things that people take into account when making decisions where to, where to purchase beyond price. And, and obviously, you know, like we'll, try to, we'll try to be competitive uh, when it comes to, to prices uh, always, like I mean, as a business, you have to be. But then, mm -hmm. there's also going to be things like um, things like the 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 size of your inventory and the customer service and the the um, you know the fact that people know that if they're making a purchase from us, they're they're going to be getting authentic cards and they don't have to worry about potentially receiving a counterfeit stuff like that. And that counts for a lot. Yeah, for sure. Like card selection, trust, authority, all of that yeah. is a, absolutely very important. So let's just jump back to the tour real quick. There was a, a, an addendum to a question that, uh, that Wayne actually wanted me to ask you. So we, we talked about the, the factors you know, going to the decision to run the Star City Tour, uh, mm -hmm. tour originally, but uh, he wanted to know, are you seeing the same declining attendance that uh, Wizards sponsored events are seeing or is the Star City Games Tour uh, growing? Hello there, game store owner. If you're enjoying this episode of the Manverse Podcast, I would be willing to bet that you would get a lot out of being a subscriber to the show. Go to manverseaga.com forward slash subscribe and get on the email list. When you're on the list, you get the latest episodes of the podcast delivered right to your inbox, as well as special offers for content and products that can help you grow your game business. That's manverseaga.com forward slash subscribe. Now, let's get back to the show. When you when you say declining attendance in terms of of the Wizards events, like I don't know what that is actually like what that's actually referring to. Like for like the Magic Fest, like sorry, I'm I can't I'm always going to call them Grand Prix probably, but mm -hmm. uh, well the Grand Prix event that took place at Magic Fest, New Jersey this past weekend sold out. Uh, but it all it sold out at twelve hundred or fourteen hundred seats, and I don't I don't know if that's like, I don't know how you would, what they're basing, like what you're basing the decline on. I don't know how many other people were at the event and chose not to participate in the main event or just couldn't get into the main event for whatever reason. Um, to answer part of your question, I, you know, as far as the decline goes, like it's kind of hard to really speak to that. But as far as uh, are we seeing any kind of decline on the SCG tour side of things? Absolutely not. Like the SCG tour has been on, a bit on fire uh, since the beginning of the year. And I don't know if you've uh, like noticed some of our, uh, within our coverage or social media posts, but the, the first, uh, I think we're, I think we've now run three events this year. The first one that we did in Columbus, Ohio was actually the largest SCG tour main event we've ever run. Uh, then the second event that we did in Worcester also went, was very strongly attended. And then we were in Indianapolis this past weekend and had a, a fantastic turnout for a release week uh, an SCG tour event hosted on a release weekend and insane, insane viewership numbers on coverage. Uh, so there's, 
So every every metric that we that we keep an eye on as far as the SDG tour goes is actually just increasing uh, in in all the right ways, and we're super excited about it. And we just uh, uh, like seeing that kind of stuff, seeing those kind of turnouts, and seeing the, those kinds of numbers on coverage. That just kind of fires me up and makes me want to just do even more and just to kind of keep that 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 snowball kind of rolling uh and just getting bigger and just and the events just getting uh bigger and the events getting better and i mean again it, it kind of goes back to what i've said probably five times already if i can't do something to the best of my ability i just don't want to do it at all and i just still see so much more potential for what we can do with the SCG tour and, and that just kind of really fires me up yeah absolutely that's that's very validating feedback right when somebody's when you're getting those kinds of numbers and it's growing and you're seeing positive results that would definitely give you uh give you the fire to keep going so why yeah, do you think it okay. is why do you think oh, it's snowballing now i'm sorry did you was did you have a second part of that question yeah following up with uh, why do you think the uh why do you think the tour is doing so well like why why is it why did you just now have this uh you know record-breaking well what do you think's changed uh, well, I, I don't. I don't want to. I may have actually given you the wrong impression. Like the SUG tour has has been growing um, for several years now. Uh, it's just continually been doing been doing better and better. But we we've reinvested a lot into it, and we we've made a lot of changes to things, and we're just now kind of starting to see the results of some of those investments and some of those changes. Um, mm. So I it's it, it it's hard to say how much of the results that we're currently seeing and the excitement that we're currently seeing is due to any one specific thing. I think it's probably more of a, a cumulative effect of a number of things that we've, that we've changed, um, many of which we've, just, we've publicly uh, announced and, and, and very aggressively uh, promoted, in fact, but then also a lot of uh, significant investments and, and behind the scenes things that we've changed that we've not, we've not, um, you know, openly advertised or, or, um, or, or promoted, but things that were all actually done with the goal of improving, uh, improving the event and offering the people that attend the event, like the best experience that we can possibly offer. And like I said, uh, I mean, hopefully, hopefully the, the, I mean, well, based, based on the results, I, I, it seems like the the community is responding very positively to a lot of the things that we're doing, but I just still see so much more potential, and and I'm I'm just really really fired up for a lot of the a lot of the other things that I know are kind of coming. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, this wasn't on the list of questions, but it kind of occurred to me while we were talking about it. Uh, sure. What do you think about the uh, the the announcement that Wizards made how their heavy investment in esports and like that kind of thing? I don't really know enough about it to say, but the way that the way that I've operated for 20, because obviously like we don't, we don't make magic, but yet we, so like, for example, with organized play, Wizards of the Coast makes all of their organized play decisions with full knowledge of what they're planning on doing themselves. We make, like we run a much smaller, the SCG tour is obviously a smaller scale organized play program but it's still pretty sizable and we're making all the decisions related to that of that tournament series like millions of dollars that we're investing into this tournament series and we're making all these decisions without any of the information that wizards has mm -hmm. themselves so 
so what we're continually doing is kind of like we're doing with so many things. We're kind of just waiting and seeing what happens. And then we're just figuring out how do we need to adapt to those changes and kind of keep things growing and keep things moving forward. It's what I've been doing for 20 plus years. And I don't really have enough information because they've not, they've not really given enough information. And I don't even know how many, how much they actually have figured out yet. Um, it seems like they're leaving a lot of it up to uh, the future. They're like, make the announcement. We'll figure it out in the next six months. I, and that's, that's probably the case in some instances. Um, you know, a, a lot of large businesses operate that way, mm. but, but I, I can't say for sure. And, um, you know, like I, as they, as they continue to reveal more information and make more announcements about what it is that we'll, that they're doing, we'll just, you know, we'll evaluate those things and we'll, uh, we'll account for that in our own planning and we'll just keep adapting and we'll just keep growing and keep moving forward. I, I can't imagine doing it any other way. It's a pretty good mindset to have no matter what's coming up, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. we'll, uh, We'll see what they what they what they ultimately decide to do, but but any any decision, no matter how no matter how poorly it may be perceived, like there's always any decision that they're making or any decision that that um, a lot of people within the industry are making. Like a lot of times, there's opportunities that those decisions create. You just have to look for them and you have to find them. Yes, yes, I think that's a that's a very nice little nugget of wisdom. You know, it doesn't matter what's happening. There's always something that you could probably use as an opportunity to do something better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's hard for me to comment on, on some of the things that they've announced so far, because I don't really know, like I just don't have enough information to really say, but everything that they're announcing, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually evaluating from that perspective. I'm looking for the, the, like, I'm not looking at uh, the things that they're announcing negatively regardless of, of what they are i'm looking for the opportunities that may be created by the things that they're announcing even if i don't have enough information to really even act on them yeah ways for you to take advantage of it well just making mental notes so that so that when or in some cases actual notes so that when mm -hmm. more information is available you know uh, there's there's likely going to be opportunities there if you're if you're able to identify them sure Sure. And and that of course is that of course is assuming that they don't actually just like openly offer opportunities like you know like um, uh, a while back they had w when they announced some of the changes that they were making to organized play they were they were they were announcing different paths to the mythic championship and and like they were openly saying in those those announcements that uh, you know like these are the ways that you're going to be able to qualify for these events and and. You know, some of that stuff, I don't really know what's happening with that because you've not really, we've, we have not really heard anything more about it since. Mm -hmm. So, but, but sometimes they actually will just openly announce opportunities and then other times you have to kind of look for them. So there may be some future integration with what the Star City Games Tour is already kind of doing and who knows, well, I, collaboration I, projects might be possible, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, but they they seem to indicate something along those lines in one of their previous announcements, but it just hasn't gone anywhere, wow. you know. But I mean, but I mean, who knows? You know, like they also announced that there were going to be what was it, six pro tours or whatever it was, and then like you know, a couple months later, all of a sudden it was down to four. Um, so who knows? I, yeah, well, they yeah, who knows what happens? 
We'll see how it goes. But their $10 million commitment that they, they decided to announce made a pretty big splash across, uh, like outside of the, the magic uh, community for a lot of, uh, I guess, mainstream publications picked it up as uh, Wizards really making their, their mark on the esports scene. Well, I mean, it's like $10 million is definitely a very flashy number to be able to advertise, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you, you have to, you have to look at like, well, how, how it's like, what are the numbers that, that are actually, how are they actually getting to 10, $10 million? You know, that's true. Is it $10 million? But, but, prizes? Don't think so. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's, and that's fine. But for, for, for marketing purposes, like being able to, 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 to promote that figure is great for sure and, and it's, it's it, it, and it's accurate like i mean i'm not saying i'm not trying to imply that it's not accurate like it, it it certainly is but you know like you said like it's not like they're just giving away 10 million dollars in prize money yeah yeah it's just it's just a really nice number for for the marketing purposes i, I see yeah, why they would go with that that's a that certainly makes a splash yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Like, I, I hope that you know, like anybody in this industry, like like everybody wants Wizards to succeed. You know, nobody nobody in the industry is actually well. Nobody nobody who's in the magic industry, I should say, and actually probably nobody in the industry. Period. Uh, wants to see Wizards fail or is rooting against them. Everybody is on their side. Everybody wants to see them win. Yeah, absolutely. Because for the most part, even businesses that have diversified they still rely pretty heavily on magic well i mean the thing is is that a lot of stores you know like if you're if you're uh, another game manufacturer like you want to see like if you're even if you're a direct competitor of magic in the trading card game space like you want to see wizards win because if, if if there's no magic then there's probably almost no game stores and then all those other mm-hmm. card games fail or or likely fail you know so so even their direct competitors want to see them win yeah. Well, let's hope that uh, this next year really pans out pretty well for them. And as long as they, uh, I think as long as they stay on track and they kind of follow through with what they've committed, I think they've got a pretty good chance, especially given the fact that arena is actually a pretty good product. Well, I, I, I agree. I think, I think arena is a fantastic product and I, I, there's also, you know, there, like, I know, I know for, for a fact that they're, they're pretty significantly understaffed at the moment, but they've got a lot of really talented and really smart people there, you know? And I, I mean, like, obviously they, they don't execute a lot of things perfectly, you know, but who does? Yeah. No company you know? And, um, and they've got a pretty good track record of, um, uh, of being able to kind of figure things out. And obviously, you know, like they're, a lot of times when the community is kind of coming at them, it's because the community is just, just isn't working with enough information and they don't know what mm. wizards has planned. So I, I, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt based on, based on uh, their, their track record. And, you know, usually that works out. Yeah. I guess when you look at it kind of like big picture kind of uh, wizards has done, I would say they've made a good product, something like, 20 out of the 20 some odd years that they've been making magic, right? There's only been a handful of times where uh, standard has been terrible or something like that, or degenerate in some form or some formats 
actually drove players away. But for the majority of the history of the game, it's been very well received. They've done very well. But I guess magic players and just the way we kind of operate, we tend to focus on the bad, the bad uh, examples, the bad most recent difficulties that we've had to go through. That's the stuff that really sticks in our mind. So I think we have a, we have a problem with focusing on the negative side of things. Well, and Twitter doesn't help. No, Twitter is Twitter no makes it real Twitter. easy to do that. No Twitter. So I'm not a fan of Twitter. Uh, I'm not either. It's a yeah. I think it's outlived its usefulness. But that's just me. That's just me. Well, that, that that's a that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's do the next question. Enough with the tangents. So many have tried and failed. You know, like there's a lot of game store game stores that pop up and then disappear pretty rapidly so what do you think uh sets the stores apart that last from the ones that uh, that don't really that don't it's it's hard to say because i don't think it's necessarily one thing like i like it, in my particular case i would say that some of the some of the things that have that that i definitely believe have given us a competitive advantage over the years has been passion you know um you know i like I said before, you know, uh, magic and the, the business of magic, if that makes sense, is actually just, uh, is something that I'm very passionate about. And if you, you know, I, I think that if you, if you try to enter the space and from a, if you try to operate a business in the space and you actually just, you, you look at magic, like it's just a widget and you have no, you have no passion for it. You have no passion for the community. Like that's one, that's definitely a significant strike against you versus somebody who does for sure. Uh, work, work ethic, I would say is another thing. Um, you know, I, you know, like if you, if you're not, if you, uh, like you're not going to be able to compete with a lot of the, either the, the, the veterans of the industry or the, the people that are entering, that may be entering the industry now, but they're just, they have that passion and they have that work ethic and they're just super hungry. Um, if you don't have that type of work ethic, like you're not going to be able to hang with either with, you're not going to be able to hang with either of those, um, with either of those groups of peers. And you're, you're probably not going to be around for long. Uh, integrity for sure. Um, mm. You know, like years ago when, uh, when, when I started vending at Grand Prix, which um, you know, like back in the day, there may have only been like four or five vendors at Grand Prix. Like it just, it blew my mind. Like the number of times that I heard vendors, actually all of which, if I'm recalling correctly, all of which are actually no longer around, which doesn't surprise me at all. But um, the, the number of times that I heard vendors like bragging about like getting one over on somebody in a buy or in a, mm. or, you know, whatever, like, um, and I just never really understood that because I kind of viewed that as incredibly short-term thinking, where it's like, okay, maybe you got like a, a significantly better deal in this one particular case than you should have gotten, you know, great, congratulations. But if the person who you're, you're so, you're bragging about having gotten one over on, like then goes to their, then realizes that you burn them somehow in whatever way that may have been. Like not only are they never going to do business with you again, but they're going to tell all their friends who are never going to do business with you most likely. And then those people are going to tell all their friends. So like, yeah, maybe you made an extra 50 bucks or whatever you, whatever the amount of money was, but how much money did you actually cost yourself 
Like it's just, it was such short-sighted thinking and it used to be, um, it used to be uh, like almost a norm back then. Like I don't think that the, the, the current generation of vendors uh, think that way or at least none that I'm aware of. Uh, but it was just, it was just absurd. It was mind blowing. And, and because I, even though I was just this one, like I wasn't this, you know, like bigger name store. I was, I, I literally was like, I would go to an event with a suitcase and two empty five row boxes and like some cash. And I would, I would just sit at a table all weekend and buy cards. And these other vendors were just constantly complaining about like just how terrible the event was and how slow the event was. And meanwhile, like here I was sitting by my table by myself and I literally just could not catch my breath because I was so busy and had such so many people that were wanting to, to deal with me. And I think such a large part of that was because like I always made sure that every single person that I dealt with, I, 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 well, I can't say with 100% certainty that I always made sure, but I always tried to make sure uh, that every person that I dealt with walked away from the exchange feeling, believing that they had been treated fairly. And I just think that's super, super important. And I, I thought that way when I was an individual operating at a, a, a Grand Prix or running a store, you know, by myself with my parents, um, you know, or for as, as long as I, as far back as I can remember. And like now that we've got 130, 140, 150 employees, uh, I still think the same way, and I still um, I still hire people who kind of um, who kind of share that that you know who have a similar who have similar integrity. And I tell this story, the same story that I kind of, that I just uh, told here. I I've told that story countless times to people that work for me uh, because I, I want them to like even if even if they have that um, that integrity themselves. Like I just I think it's super super important to understand that like every single person that walks away from an exchange with you, like you're there representing our brand, you know, you're there representing um, Star City. And in many cases, you're actually representing your own personal brand as well, because so many people that work for me actually have their own personal brands. And it's just super, super important that whether it's a, whether it's a purchase or whether it's a sale or whether it's actually just somebody wanting to meet you, um, for what you know, for for all sorts of reasons, uh, it's super important that those people walk away and believe that if it was a if it was a deal that they were treated fairly, or if it was in a, just an experience where they're they're meeting with you or they're talking to you or they just have a question about something that they walk away and they they've had a positive experience. It's just super super important. And I mean, in addition to what I told you before about just the, the, the attitude that used to be so pervasive amongst vendors years and years ago. Um, just the, the, the number of times that uh, I've seen like people like waiting at uh, a vendor booth needing help. And, you know, it's like the, the person behind the booth the, or the employee behind the booth just, it just seem like it's like they're invisible or it's like they're bothering them, mm. you know? And I just like, I can't even wrap my head around that. Um, so, so there's that too. And I kind of started off with integrity and then it kind of spiraled a bit out of control there. But, um, but I, I, think, I, I think that those are the types of things that really set apart the, 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 the types of stores and the types of businesses within the, the magic space and, the, and, and in any business really that yeah. set, that set the, the people who succeed apart from the people who fail for sure. And sorry, you kind of caught me monologuing there, but. That, that, that was all good. That was all good. Yeah. I would have to, 100% agree with that. It's funny how much 
or how, yeah, how much of an impact just the long-term thinking of, you know, being uh, mutually beneficial to you want your customer to be happy and you want your business to be happy at the same time. Because I think, like you said, I think that's an important lesson for any business owner to understand that that is the better way to do things. You might win in the short term by screwing over your customers, but that's not going to, it's not going to last, especially not in this day and age when, you know, negativity can spread so quickly because of social media. And I think especially in the, the magic business because. Oh, we're back to Twitter again. Oh, oh, oh Twitter, but you know, Facebook <laughs> as well. <clears throat> but like magic players talk, right? We're, we're a yeah. pretty tight knit community. And if somebody says, Hey, I just traded in all these cards. This is how much you got. And the friend was like, dude, you just got totally ripped off. That's just going to, it's like wildfire, right? That's a story that's going to spread very, very quickly. And that's going to come back to haunt you as the business owner. So well, absolutely. And it, I mean, yeah, definitely. It certainly has the potential to, and, and, but even if that wasn't the case, I just, I've never been the type of person who can like, it, that's just not the way that I'm wired and it never has been. So I actually just have such a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I have an even harder time just like wrapping my head around the fact that people just somehow like that. Some people just somehow don't get this. Mm-hmm. but yeah. like i mean go, going back to your original question your question was what sets apart uh you know the the businesses that succeed and the businesses that fail i mean i guess if they got it maybe they wouldn't have failed maybe maybe either way i think that was a very powerful monologue i think that somebody's gonna get a good up slap upside the head from listening to that i hope uh, i mean hopefully oh, yeah hopefully <laughs> that, that that'd be great who knows? Those people generally don't change their minds very much if that's the way they oh, act. Oh, wait a second. You actually mean literally a slap, a slap upside the head. That's not what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that might, might benefit from a literal slap upside the head, too. Yeah, well, if, that's, if you're talking literally, then I'm, I'm going to retract my hopefully. Yeah, we're not advocating that. violence or anything like that. Of course. No, of course not. But I'm saying, I mean, but in all seriousness, like, I mean, if, if it makes somebody who may currently think the way that I was just talking about, the, the, the negative aspects of what I was just talking about, think in terms of the positive things that I was just talking about, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can operate a business for long with disdain for your customer. Uh, yeah, I agree. What was the best decision you've made in your business? It's been a, there's a long time to think about, but what do you think the, the top, the most uh, impactful decision you've made is? So that, that, that's, that's a tough one because there's a very good chance that I probably wouldn't even remember it if I was trying to. Uh, but then there's also a lot of, you know, like I don't even know how honestly I can answer that because it's highly, it, it's entirely possible that what I would say is the best decision I've ever made is something I actually can't explain. For sure. Guess. For sure. But like, but, but for, for sure, one of the best, one of the best decisions that I've ever made. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I, it's a it's something that I continue to do, so I'll kind of just lump it all together. Is just hiring a lot of really really talented people. That's a great decision. Yeah, for sure. I so, mean, so what about, led to that? Why did you want to? Well, I guess I guess that's pretty much the ideal, right? Everyone wants to hire really talented people, right? Yeah. Yes, um, but I, I've um, I've been extremely fortunate to um, not only be able to find a lot of those really, really talented people, but then also to hire them and to keep them. Mm. Um, That's a feat. Yeah. But I mean like nothing, nothing that, 
you know, like nothing that I that 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 I've done or that Star City has done as as, as a business uh, would likely have been possible without the the uh, the contributions from from so many people. Mm. Like the like the SUV tour, to name like one really obvious example. Like that literally would not be possible if my if if my team if if the people that were involved in making that happen in every aspect like weren't as 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 talented and as as passionate dedicated. and as dedicated that's the word i was looking for uh as they are like they're just they're just absolute rock stars and i'm just really really fortunate that's a great answer hiring the right people i can see how that would uh kind of be the foundation for everything else yeah absolutely so let's turn that on its head a little bit what's the biggest mistake that you heard one of the biggest let's just you know try and uh, trend be a little bit vague here what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made in the business so i would start this off the the same way i started the other one off like it's entirely possible that um uh the actual and the real answer to this question may be something that i that i can't share uh but i've been asked this question before and the answer that i i typically give when somebody asks me this question is early on when we like um like well in the in the early days of SCG. As we were growing, we were growing, growing so fast, so rapidly that we, that I focused and, and we as a company focused just way too much on the growth and just growing, growing faster and just kind of managing the growth. Um, and we didn't take the time to uh, like properly document the processes and the procedures that we were using along the way. So we, mm. we like years later, we eventually did all of that but it was so much harder than it would have been had we actually done it along the way. And so when people ask me like, what's the biggest mistake I've made in the business, that's the way I typically answer that question. That's another good answer. Systems and processes are very important. Well, it's not, it's not just having systems and processes. It's actually, it's documenting them so that, you know, if, if, if certain people leave the company, you have that, those processes and procedures documented so that you can hand them, you, and you can use them to train the people that replace them. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what I see a lot of people do is you, there's a lot of, and not just within the magic industry, but within business as a whole is there's no doubt they, they don't have documentation. They don't have um, processes and their documented processes and procedures for things. And there's like one or two people that know how to do something. And then if like that person gets hit by a bus, like you're just screwed. Yeah. That, there goes the business because everything is all up in the old noodle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And a uh, good point on the do it sooner rather than later as well. Right. Which is, it gets so way more complex, the bigger it gets. So. Yes. And also, and also the bigger it gets, like the, 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 the more, the thinner your spread. So, you know, like when, like, as you're growing, a lot of times you're just basically like the, the main thing that you're dealing with is you're trying to accommodate the growth and you're trying to manage the growth. But if you kind of just take a step back and maybe grow a little less quickly, but take the time to document all those processes and procedures as you go, it's so much easier than when you're all of a sudden you have a hundred people and now you're, there's so many more things that you're having to do and you're still growing rapidly. But now there's like, you know, you've got your, you've got, I don't know what the expression is. I'm sure there's an expression for it, but basically like you're just, you're spread super thin uh, and now you have to go back and try to figure out how to document those processes and procedures like 
after the fact. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it is exponentially harder. Yeah. And you're so much further away from the activities too, right? Cause you've got these yep. extra people and these layers of abstraction and yeah. Yeah. See why that would be a, a major challenge late in the game for you for that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's a, it's a major challenge for, for any business, but it's, it's, it's definitely what I consider when people, like I said, when people ask me the question, that's the answer I give them. Yeah. And I think that's a good one. I think codifying what you do and, you know, once you've tested it and figured out this is the best way to make it happen, you've optimized your process, writing it down so that, you know, it's really easy to pass along. It's a, a great step that virtually anyone could do, even if it's just a one man show or one woman show. If that's the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Get it done now. And then as soon as you hire somebody, you can be like, here's the book. This is what you do. No yeah, problem. more or less. Give or take something like that anyways. All right. So what advice would you have for someone who's listening to this podcast and they want to, you know, they're, they're thinking about opening up a game store. They're potentially doing something in the next 12 months or something like that. Uh, you know, they're in the planning stages. What advice would you have for them just getting started? Uh, like literally the exact same thing that I just said as the answer to your previous question. <laughs> Start codifying. Yeah. I mean, just, just uh, create, like document your processes and your procedures as you go. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're looking for multiple pieces of advice, but that's like, that would definitely be the, at the top of my list because it's the thing I consider to have been the biggest mistake I made. Sure. Well, what about the person who's, you know, maybe they haven't opened the doors yet. Maybe they're still like pie in the sky kind of thing. What do you, what would you say to the dreamer? Oh, that's, that's tough. Um, I, I would, I would definitely say uh, uh, that you, that you need to do a lot of research and homework and number crunching uh, before, you know, like, like make sure that you're like, make sure that you're planning to operate your business as a business and not as an extension of a hobby for sure. Because that's, that's a recipe for disaster. That's good advice. And that's very common from a lot of the owners that I've uh, interviewed. It it is, but it, but it also, see, I'm all, but I'm also approaching it from some, from the perspective of somebody who, like I'm approaching it with an expectation that the person who's getting ready to open a business actually like that's their goal is to actually have it operate as a business. Like it's entirely possible that your goal is to just open a store as an extension of your hobby so that you always just have a place to hang out and play with your friends. And if that's your goal, then that's your goal. But like, you're not going to, I mean, that's, you're, you're most likely not going to be operating your business as a business at that point. And not for very long, most likely. If that's and mo- well, I mean, it depends. Like there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stores like that that have been around for a very long time, but I mean, it just, it is what it is. True. I think the people who've, who've opened up the shop because it's an extension of the hobby, as you say, I think the only reason that they may have gotten to the point where they can kind of keep the whole train going is if, you know, they're in a market that just happens to sustain them properly to cover their costs. I think most of the, the shops that open and close are the people who, you know, they're the backpack trader or something like that. And they think, Hey, I could do this. Or they see their other local shop that they've been playing at and they think I could do this better than this person. I'm going to try. And well, then, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's a, you know, kind of like a, a, a running joke within business, but you know, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of those types of store owners that like basically want to, uh, like sell everything at a loss and operate everything at a loss and then make it up in volume, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, 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 and obviously that's just absurd, but that type of, um, 
like that, that mentality, that mindset is just far more pervasive within the, the this industry than mm-hmm. in many others. Yeah, I agree. Way, way too common. I, you know, I've, I feel like I've told a lot of people not to be Walmart because you just can't be Walmart. This industry, this business, you can't be the, you can't be the lowest priced and, you know, taking things at a loss and selling things below MSRP for, you know, an extended period of time because you don't have the millions and millions of dollars and investor capital to ride it out and acquire market share and then raise prices after the fact. That's not going to work. Well, and and the problem is, is that 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 consistently doesn't work. And, and I'm assuming that we're actually talking about the same type of um, the, the, the same type of retailer or dealer, but like that consistently doesn't work, but then like that person goes out of business and then somebody else comes along with the same idea. So it almost kind of seems like, um, like it, it almost seems like that the, those people are just continuously there, but oftentimes it's not the same people. It's just a never ending cycle of people who have the same terrible idea. Yeah. And, and have, just never learned no how to run a business. Yeah. It's not, you know, and the people who don't know how to run a business is not, uh, it's not exclusive to gamester owners. You know, most, most new businesses fail because people don't know how to run a business usually the first time around. So it's not just us. It's just, it seems like it's a very common problem with store owners. So that's, that's why I was kind of like angling to get some, uh, some advice for maybe somebody who, who had the thought that I'm going to go in and I'm going to undercut everybody and that's how I'm going to win because it's just not, it's not going to work for you. Well, I mean, like, like you said, it's also oftentimes it's actually not even possible because there's so many people that, you know, like that's their entire business model is that they're just going to see who's selling something for the cheapest and then undercut them. Okay. You know, like you can't, like you can't have two people with that same business model, you know, I mean, you can, of course, but one of them is always like, it, there's always going to be one person who is the, um, you know, who is actually selling for, for the cheapest. And if a hundred people have that same business model, then 99 of them are going to fail. Potentially even the 100th could fail as well. Cause you know, they'll just run out of uh, capital eventually because they're running at a loss or their margins are so thin. They just can't sustain the, uh, uh, the work hours or the, yep. you know, just they can't operate a business like that because they you know, death spiral, just constantly undercutting each to the, was it race to the bottom? That's what it's called. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's a, that's a very, uh, that's a, a very common mindset amongst retailers, uh, amongst many retailers um, within this industry, unfortunately. Yeah. If you could go back in time and do something different, what would it be? And it can't be, you know, by like a, a million black lotuses or something like that. It's gotta be something business related. Uh, okay. Fair. Um, can I go back in time and convince wizards to never implement a reserve list? Sure. I think that's a pretty good answer, actually. Do you think you could do it? Go back in time? Probably not. Well, maybe not to go back in time. Assuming you can go back in time, but could you actually go back in time and say, hey, wizards, this is a terrible idea? Uh, I mean, I think that they've made their position pretty clear on this over the years. Um, but you know, we we've actually made our position on this on the reserve list extremely clear um, for years. Uh, we we think it's terrible. We wish it didn't exist, and it's not. It doesn't make an ounce of difference. Like Wizard seems to have made up their mind on this, and I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. 
So to, to let again, the listeners know, why do you think it's terrible? Wait, why, why is it okay, wait, I just, I just want to say it one more time, uh, louder for the people in the back. The, we think, SEG thinks that the reserve list is terrible and we wish it did not exist. And I'm, I'm saying that again because we've actually stated that countless times over the years, and yet I still see people constantly talk, like talking about how SCG obviously would never want the reserve list to go away for blah, 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 blah. And like they could not be more wrong. We, uh, we oh, God, I hate the reserve list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can feel the emotion coming across in your voice. Well, the, the, the thing about it too is that um, – you know, a lot of the a lot of the the way that that discussion often goes is people talk about what you know, like this, like theoretical situation where like wizards would do away with the reserve list, and then all these people that have been sitting on like all these cards that they've collected and that they've invested in, and blah blah blah, like and all those cards would be devalued, and then there would be lawsuits and blah blah blah. But the thing, and maybe some of that may actually end up playing out that way but like realistically what would happen is is that or what the way that i believe that situation would play out is that yeah maybe there maybe those older cards would actually be devalued in the short term but then the opportunities that that would open up for wizards to to reprint all of those cards and and do so many more things with those cards i think that would actually have like a, a long-term effect of growing the game and as the game grew those the cards that those people had that may have initially been devalued would most likely increase in value higher than they may have otherwise. I like, feel like you're probably right. And and there's and there's no way to know for sure, but but I I I absolutely believe that I personally believe that that's what would happen. And the you know like it's um it's it's unfortunate that it most likely that I'll, I'll most likely never be able to, to, to find out if that would be true. You never know what the future holds, but at least right now, it definitely seems like Wizards going to hold pretty strong on that, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. I, and, and I think your assessment is largely correct, right? Because like yeah, at the very least legacy would suddenly have this like new lifeblood pumped into it, right? As a format, it's pretty valuable or viable. It's very popular. It's just it's kind of restrictive in that there's only so many cards in existence to play those decks, right? Whereas, well, and, and, and I mean, it, and it's also it's not in it's not really in Wizards' best interest to support the format because they don't mm. they're not it's not selling any new product. But it absolutely would if Wizards could reprint the cards on the reserve list. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right about the uh, the value as well, right? Like whenever a card is reprinted, generally there's a dip, but it like almost like the majority of the game, it just generally rises over time, or at least it has for pretty much its entire existence. So you're probably I mean, that's, right. That, that, that's the cycle that we've seen play out uh, time, after, time after time after time with, with high dollar cards that have been reprinted. Yeah, they always go back up. It's usually the reprint creates more demand. Well, I, I, uh, I, I don't know if the, yeah, sure. I, I guess that, I guess, that, yeah, that, I would explain it that way. That's fine. Something like that, anyways. If you're thinking yeah, something like demand, and it's that's why it's meeting up back to where it uh, it used to be, something along those lines. Anyway. But but if if you're if you're talking about something maybe a little bit more uh, realistic, if if I could go back in time and do something different 
within my, my own business, like something that I would have actually had like some amount of control over, I probably would have not sold off some of the original uh, magic artwork that we once owned. So like nothing like, um, you know, nothing like the, uh, you know, power or the alpha beta stuff. Um, but I mean, like we, like at one point we owned um, like Tradewind Rider and Stroke of Genius and Morphling and, and the stuff was worth a, a, a fraction of what it would probably be worth now. And I, I would love to, I would love to actually um, have those pieces again. I think that's a good use of a time machine. I think least, that's a terrible use hypothetical for a time question. <laughs> well, in a very narrow it does know, your potential question. time machine. It does answer the question. That's good. I like that though. So let's do the final question. I always ask the people who are on the show and it's a very subjective. It's, you know, it's up to you. It's personal. So the question okay. is, what does success look like to you, right? You, I think have, I think a lot of people, a lot of people listening probably think that you've got a very successful store, right? Like probably one of the most successful stores in, in the, the industry. So what does success actually mean for you? And you don't get the same answer from everybody on this because I would imagine- Not at all. Most, oh, wow, that's surprising. Because I would imagine that, for, that most people would answer this question the way that I'm about to answer it, which would be like being able to, being able to make a living doing something that I love doing—that's a good answer. I—I'm shocked that that's not the way that almost everybody answers that question. It's—it's ac it's actually fairly cliche, um, but uh, I, I mean, like the, the the number of hours that I work are just like I just I work a ridiculous amount of hours, and I love every minute of it. Like I I I can't I I just I I can't imagine. Um, like I can't imagine my life being any other way. Like I'm up at, I'm up at five o'clock or five thirty every morning. I work for four or five hours before I go into work. Uh, I go into work and I typically work like eight hours in the office, and then I often come home and work several more hours every day. And this is usually uh, six to seven days a week, and I just I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. Well, you know what they say, right? If you do what you love, it's not work. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That makes sense. I, th I think that's a great answer. So you've found success. You've got pretty much what you've, uh, what you've wanted. You can do even yeah. more though, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, but, but to be fair, uh, mm -hmm. like I, I absolutely understand that a lot of people would not define success that way because they're, they're not going to want to work 80 hours a week. <laughs> you know, like they, that, that would like, like working 80 hours a week in order to, juggle all the balls that we do and have the type of operation that we have and do the kind of things that we do, they would never want to do that. They wouldn't consider that to be success. Well, they, they might consider it to be success, but it's not anything that they would have any interest in doing. Sure. Sure. And that, that's usually the variation that people uh, give the answer to that kind of question for is it's not, it's not usually about money. It's usually about freedom or, you know, the ability to, to do what they want in some capacity or, you know, the, the, the ability to take care of their family. That's like a successful uh, exactly. success criteria, right? Like that's a victory condition is, uh, is yeah, exactly. getting or, to that like, middle-class income and having a good life for your family. That's, that's the level that some people are working towards, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it didn't even occur to me until a second ago, but I, I was actually just saying before for a lot of, for a lot of people, they may define success as like, you know, kind of being able to, operate a a break-even business in which they get to 
you know, like have a place for them and all their friends to always play magic whenever they want to play. So, sorry, I was saying that's exactly why I like asking the questions. Usually there's a quite a, a variety of answers for somebody to consider. Like maybe some people's version of success is not what they should be actually aiming for. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And it, it, you know, it's funny because when you, when you ask me this question, I'm so wired the way that I am. Like I just naturally assume that everybody would must answer this question the same way. And the more I thought about it, the more I, was, the more I realized and the more humanly realized that there's all sorts of different ways to answer this question that I did that just like, don't even enter my head. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a, uh, a very successful business and clearly you're doing exactly what you want right now. And I think that's uh, that's great. So I think this is a great part, uh, a great point to, you know, let's close it out. Let's tell the listeners, it may be a bit redundant, obviously, to, you know, where can they find you online if they don't already know where you exist? Uh, so on uh, most of the major social media platforms, you can, they can find us at Star City Games. And online, we're just www.starcitygames.com. What about real life? What if somebody wanted to come say hi? Do you want my physical address? <laughs> well, maybe not your house address, but like, what if, you know, what if somebody wanted to come visit the store? Okay. So uh, the, the physical address at the store is uh, 5728 Williamson Road in Roanoke, Virginia. Perfect. All and right. They can do that, and they can do that while they're, they're, they're in town for uh, SEG Con, which has been a ton of fun to do. Before we close up, tell me more about that. Uh, so uh, SEG Con is the event that was formerly our SCG Tour Invitationals. Um, like at one point we were doing them four times a year and then we were doing them three times a year and now we're doing them, or then, then we were doing them two times a year. Uh, and then we, instead of moving them around from city to city, we just decided to do them all here in our hometown of uh, Roanoke, Virginia, which is where we're headquartered. Um, and we did that a couple of times and uh, I think one time it went really well and then one time it didn't really go as well as we were expecting. And then we just decided to, uh, to just, and, and I'm going to go back to exactly what I was saying before, uh, just not half-ass anything and just kind of like do what, what like do, do things to the best of our ability. And we just said, we're just going to blow this thing up and make it into um, an actual Magic the Gathering convention. And it is going to be in Roanoke, Virginia, which is not a town, a place that many people have probably even heard of. Uh, and we are just going to have this thing consistently be here and we're going to have it get bigger and better every single time we do it and um we're going to have it be like you know i mean currently there's really nobody else running actual magic the gathering conventions like there's things like hascon or things like pro tours or um you know magic fest or whatever but i i've been to those events and and, and i've been to events like pax and there's nothing like what we're doing with SCG Con, as far as like an event that's just a hundred percent focused on magic and doing the kinds of things that we're doing and doing the kinds of things that we're planning on doing, which is um, which is is super exciting. And we're just, you know, like that's one of the kinds of things that just really um, that really gets me fired up is just knowing, is just seeing that potential and then just actually doing the work to make it happen and then seeing the results and um, it. I've like I've run we've run some of the largest Grand Prix uh, in the history of the game uh, for Wizards of the Coast back when we used to do that and we used and we used to do all sorts of super unique and super cool stuff 
um, with those events. And, and they were a blast to run. We always loved running those events, but I have never been as excited about any magic event that we've ever run as I am about SEGCon and, and the potential that I see for those events and, and what we've already accomplished with it and what we plan on accomplishing. Like that event is awesome and it is unlike any magic event that you've probably ever been to, I guarantee it. Fantastic. So keep an eye out for SEGCon and uh, if you're in the area, drop by. Yeah, the next one's gonna be in June. Uh, we haven't really made any announcements for it yet beyond the, the weekend itself. It's June uh, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Traditionally, we also do a bunch of really cool uh, off-site activities and events the day before, which would be June 6th. And uh, we've, we've, we've just kind of started some uh, preliminary planning for, for that event. And like I, I already know that it's going to be the biggest and best one that, uh, that we've done yet. And we, we're going to have some we're going to have all sorts of really cool stuff. And you could probably ask anybody who's ever actually been to one of the, one of our previous SCG cons. Um, and, and they'll tell you that it was just, they'll, they'll echo everything that I'm saying. Uh, they, you know, if they were at the last one, they may mention how uh, Sunday wasn't particularly fun when we got like 14 inches of snow dropped us on, <laughs> dropped on us overnight and had to cancel the uh, like 95% of the Sunday of the event. But um but Friday and Saturday were fantastic and it was great. And I'm super, super excited about the next one. I think you could be forgiven for an act of God. You'd be surprised. Some people are not that forgiving. <laughs> All right. And I, I, and I understand. Yeah. Well, if you're excited for something, it's hard not to be disappointed. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I seriously encourage people. If, if you, if you're a fan of, of Magic the Gathering, if you love this game, like mark your calendars for that weekend, make plans to come to Roanoke, Virginia uh, and, and join us for that event. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. I appreciate you making time uh, for the interview and giving, me, and giving me the platform. No problem. I'm glad to have you on the show. I, I think uh, you dropped quite a few nuggets of wisdom on us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. And I am now going to go take a bunch of uh, sinus medication and go to bed. Wonderful. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to everybody uh, later. All right. Thanks, Thomas. And that's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed hanging out with Pete and I. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by going to maniversaga.com forward slash subscribe. That way you get on the email list where you can get the latest episodes delivered right to your inbox, as well as special offers for content and products to help you grow your game business. That's maniversaga.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. Now, I hope you have a great day, and as always, thanks for listening.